Hi, Michael. Oh, hi, 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 hi. Hi. Hi, even. Are you like a proud homeowner now or what? I mean, I haven't signed the dotted line. It kind of takes a while, but... Right. But it's happening. It's happening. It's like that early stage. You're on date four where it's like Mm -hmm. you have pretty good confidence that it's happening, but you don't want to... But maybe you don't want to tell your friends about her yet. Yeah, yeah. Her being the house in this case. Yeah, yeah. Well, we... Yeah. So that's what's happening. That's exciting. And I got a job you got a job i got a job that was wow. not the reaction i was expecting i was expecting like oh you get no a no i i was processing whether you said you got a jab as in some kind of other vaccine shot or a job no, I'm as from in employment I'm that's from great what are you what are you doing it's just a, some part-time contract work that i'm gonna be doing for another rabbi uh, actually. Oh, wow. So you're going to be doing development for another rabbi? Not not tech stuff, more just like... Uh, stuff. It's more just like some stuff. It's very Talmudic, actually. It's like organizing uh, organizing people's thoughts in into oh. a form that is readable. It's like Shulchan Aruch style, actually. Right. Codification. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's going to be my job. So that's exciting. I just wow. found out. I just found Mazel out like an tov. hour ago. Yeah. Look at you. You're coming up. You're coming up in the world, like, in terms of your stability, in terms of your Judaism. I'm trying to just duck out of the way of the evil eye, though. Yeah, yeah. But everything is fine, you know, dealing with a particularly emotional puppy uh, Uh the last few days and a particularly emotional uh, grunge girl. Uh-huh. But that's all to be expected, and I I love them for it. I love them for it. Oh, that's so beautiful. How are you, Hava? Baruch Hashem, I'm well. Today, I went to the dentist for the first time in like five years. Truly like five years. That's not an exaggeration. That's probably a conservative estimate. Did they say that your teeth are beautiful? Because they are. No, uh, that's very sweet of you to say. I'm very self-conscious about my teeth. Really? Um, They're great. Yeah. What what do you, what don't you like about your teeth? I don't. That's just gonna make it worse, Michael. I don't want to talk about that. All right. I don't want right. to explicate all the faults of my teeth. But I went to the dentist, and I was really nervous about it. Growing up, I had like a really judgmental dentist, where like every time I went to the dentist, it was like, "Wow, you've really failed as a human." But I guess I'll fix you. <laughs> that's how it always felt for me. So I had a lot of anxiety going into this dentist appointment. It went really well. Um, I spent most of the time with the hygienist who was like cleaning my teeth. Did you have a nice hygienist? Yeah, she was so sweet. It's actually, I asked for recommendations and people recommended me the hygienist rather than the dentist. People were like, I don't know about the dentist of this practice, but the hygienist is incredible. So you should go see her. I love having a good hygienist. I have one who's like so nice and sweet. Like I can tell that she probably has one of those welcome mats with like a terrier or like a cat. <laughs> yeah, it went pretty good. I have a lot of stuff I have to do- have done to my teeth. I have to get my wisdom teeth out. Oh. Um, and then I have to get a deep cleaning which I know is a pretty painful process, but it feels good to be back on the path to having my teeth taken care of. And also like once I realized several years ago that I wasn't going to be seeing the dentist for many years, I like started taking dental hygiene really seriously. It was really good to hear the hygienist say like, oh, I can tell the home dental care you do is really good. Like you floss really well and you brush the right way. There are just some unavoidable things 
that like if you don't go to the dentist for five years you're gonna have stuff that has to get fixed i am so surprised by like all of this information you're giving me because if i had to rank my friends by teeth (laughs) you'd be the top slot whoa wow well i have a i have a tooth that i had a root canal on and i got a crown on it and then the crown came off so it's just like a stump of a tooth Oh, okay. Well, you know, okay, we'll just call you stump tooth. And also, I feel like my teeth are very yellow, and I don't want to, like, get into it because I don't want my tooth shame to, like, contaminate that's anyone fine. else's feelings no, about their that's teeth. Fine. Yeah, 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 that's fine. I think we all have feelings about our teeth, probably. Hopefully you don't have any feelings in your teeth, though, because that's, they're usually painful. Yes, right. Isn't it crazy that we just have, like, these, like, little pieces of ceramic material just sort of like in our skulls basically yeah like coated in teflon or some weird yeah thing. that's so weird they just like what was stick god out. thinking <laughs> and like we have them in our body but we can't actually take full care of them well you can take full care of your like core for some reason right but you can't take full care of your teeth right you don't have to get like your spleen cleaned on a yearly basis yeah It is kind of weird. So that's just really weird, but I'm just getting really pumped for the Animal Crossing update. You know, getting my island ready. Really excited about that. Okay, okay. All right. Um, And I'm going to try a new recipe this week for my boyfriend's lunches. I don't know. I'm feeling good. I, I was actually really tired from the dentist and I took a nap right before this, which you know how rare it is for me to take a nap. I'm feeling really good. Okay, wow. Well, do you want to get into it? Yeah. Before I explain what we're going to talk about, I'll just read our listener question. Okay. I will say, dear listeners, this listener question is from April of this year. So it's no longer topical or a current event, but I felt it was still worth discussing. So keep that in mind as I read this question. Hello, Chava and Michael. Last week, Jewish Forward and a DSA chapter announced a panel on, this might not be exact, religion and socialism about building community and bridges to religious Jewish life. They scheduled the panel in the middle of the day on Saturday. After some outrage on Twitter, they announced the panel would be recorded and people could view it after Shabbat. People continue to express frustration that watching a recording is not the same as participating. In the end, they moved the event to Sunday and said they will make such considerations in the future. People now just doubt the representation of the types of religious Jews within the panel itself. It was so interesting to watch unfold, and as a Jew who observed Shomer-ish Shabbat, I had a lot of mixed feelings. I wonder what you think about this, and maybe the history of political activism seen as a secular versus religious value. It's Friday when I'm sending this, so Shabbat Shalom. Well, it's Friday when we're recording this, so Shabbat Shalom back to you, dear wonderful listener. It's kind of ironic, though, that it's Friday. Why? Because I know. Mm. Well, it's before candle lighting on Friday, so... Okay, okay. I'm going to light candles like right after we record. Before I bring in any Talmud, Michael, what's your take? Just hot hot off the top of your head. Okay, so this is a panel that was scheduled by the DSA. Yes, it was a panel scheduled by the DSA and the Jewish Forward. Mm-hmm, okay. Which is it. a, you know... They're a newspaper, right? Newspaper. There yep. we go. I, yep. I want to say, I couldn't remember if it was magazine or newspaper. Scheduled with the Jewish Forward and the DSA about religion and socialism. Okay, look, 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 look. Okay, I'm not convinced that this is really, a, I mean, okay, you can read it as an insult to the, you know, the, all the Jewish people that have ever come and will exist, but I actually read it as a compliment. Okay. And the reason why is because no one wants to go to a DSA meeting. 
<laughs> right. They were saving us the trouble. So this is actually privileging Jews is what I'm saying. Oh my gosh. This is like, you can be a member of DSA and get out. Have a valid excuse to miss exactly. every single meeting. Yeah. Yeah. Because DSA meetings, if you've been to them, you know, they're, they kind of drag. They kind of yeah. drag. So um, I, I don't, I don't see the problem. I don't see the problem. <laughs> right off the bat, I don't see the problem. Okay. Well, that's one take. Uh, I have to say when I saw this unfolding in real time, you know, I definitely had a feeling about it. It felt like specifically because it was about religion and socialism, you know, it was like sort of about this topic that it was sort of failing to embody in its own creation. Yeah, I see yeah, your point. It wasn't just any panel, right? It was a panel on religion and socialism specifically. And I think that's part of the thing here. I mean, I think a lot of people had a pretty strong negative reaction to this. And that's fair. I am not here to take anyone's reactions or feelings away from them. I am here to bring a few texts and ideas that sort of help me express my various mixed conflicting feelings. The first thing I want to do is I want to bring two little things to sort of talk about some historical states of Jewish secular relation. One of those things is we're reading this passage from Mishnah Demai. This is chapter bet, Mishnah Bet, where we hear. HaMekabel alaw lilaw ne'eman ma'asir et shehu ochel wa et shehu mocher. The person who takes it upon themselves to become trustworthy, they need to tithe what they eat, what they sell, what they buy, and they may not stay as a guest of an Am Haaretz. If you're not familiar with this term, an Am Haaretz, literally person or people of the land or earth, is sort of a category of person that comes up a lot in Talmud and Mishnah, that sort of means like a secular Jew. I don't think there were as clear distinctions between secular and religious. I don't think the idea of religion as we know it today had quite evolved yet. But an Am Haaretz is like a person who does not follow Halacha. So there are all kinds of things about this Am Haaretz that are said throughout the Talmud. Some of them pretty horrific, and some of them just sort of mildly fucked up, as is the one I'll read us here. I mean, I just read us, right? If a person wants to be trustworthy, they're not allowed to stay as a guest of an yeah. Amha'aretz. Well, I'm curious what the tithing is, just just for, for my benefit. So there are various temple tithes that you need to make over food that's produced, bought, sold, eaten, etc. Okay. So if you are taking it upon yourself to be like observant, essentially, is what they mean by trustworthy in this case... They're saying, this is what qualifies you. You need to do your tithes because that's the basic building block of Jewish religious life at this time. And you can't stay at the house of an Am Haaretz because you might eat food that's not been tithed. And therefore, you'll be violating not tithing what you eat. The oh, sort of okay. implication here is you can't trust an Am Haaretz to tell you truthfully whether the food they're feeding you has been tithed or not. Is that what the rabbis explicitly say? The next sentence supports that view, I believe, uh, the next two sentences. So Rabbi Yehuda Omer, af etzel am ne'eman. So even if he stays by am ha'aretz, he's trustworthy. Amrulo al ne'eman, al The sages said to him, 
if he can't be trusted with his own tithing, how can he be trusted to monitor the tithing of someone else? Okay, so it's not actually saying that the secular person, loosely translated, is nefarious. They're just incompetent. Yes, I mean, you could read it a bunch of different ways. There are other places where Amha'arets are portrayed as varying degrees of nefarious or incompetent. You know, there's a lot of different takes on Amha'arets throughout the Talmud. But here, yeah, I don't think there's nefariousness implied. I just think they're saying tithing is so complicated and difficult. It's not reasonable to monitor your own tithing and the tithing of someone else. I guess there's also an implication here that when you visit someone else's home, they become responsible, at least for this aspect of your halakha. Yeah, and if you're staying with someone else, they're probably going to feed you. That's a reasonable assumption. And if they feed you, that falls into the category of food you're eating and therefore food you're responsible for knowing the tithing status of. Got it, got it, got it. So this, to me, speaks a little bit to one sort of snapshot of historical relation between secular and religious Jews, where the Tanaim are sort of saying, like, social relations between secular and religious Jews are essentially forbidden to the extent that that's possible. This is a very different world than we live in today, most Mm -hmm. of us. To me, one of the things that I wanted to bring from this passage that speaks to one of my feelings is the idea that the issue is about our own ability to ensure others do things right. The issue is not about other people's responsibility to do things right. Oh. So to me, I find the wording, I'm choosing to find the wording significant that it doesn't say... You can't stay with an Amha Aretz because they can't do this thing of tithing. It says it's not reasonable for you to supervise their observance as well as your own. And that, to me, speaks to this DSA situation a little bit by maybe introducing the possibility that in the Talmudic worldview, the responsibility is on the people who want to observe a halacha to be monitoring and structuring and asking for what they need. So, Hava, are you are you trying to say that there's no one? I I, I want to be angry at someone. Is, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Hava, I want to be angry. I, I desperately want to be angry at I someone. Know. Are you saying that maybe I shouldn't be angry at the people who uh, who did this meeting? It's just my responsibility to reach out to them and be like, hey guys. I'm going to have to let you sit with that question for a little longer before I give my own answer to it, because that's going to be the sort of synthesis of the dialectic of this episode. Okay, great. Okay, I'm looking forward to it. The second thing I want to talk about, leap forward to 1893 to think with me about the Yom Kippur anarchist ball. So in 1893, the Frey Arbeit which was a Yiddish laborer's newspaper, through a Yom Kippur ball and banquet in New York City, and it was mobbed. The event was mobbed by an estimated five to 6,000 people. Police had to intervene. It was essentially like a riot because some anti-religious Jews chose to throw an explicitly anti-religious event. And there was a big old riot, and the police arrested a bunch of people. There was a a big hullabaloo, essentially. And this was a thing. Yom Kippur balls were around for a while. The invitation for the one in 1900 read, All free thinkers to gather in the lovely Clarendon Hall where singing, recitations, and performances fitting for this occasion will be held. Wow. You know, cool. 
I, I, well, <laughs> I'm just like, whoa. This reminds me a lot of what Sam was talking about when we were talking about the different reactions to quote-unquote modern times, like 1700s mm-hmm. modern society, and one yes. of them being like this more secular and radical stuff and and how you know there was tension between the radical people and people who wanted to kind of be more halakhically true to what they were doing before didn't sam also mention that when the reform rabbinical college in america was founded they also had a yom kippur banquet and i think this was the oh the trafe banquet famous yes, yeah, trafe banquet yeah. yes so this is definitely coming out of those tensions that came up a lot in our Hasidic series, which all mm. listeners should go back and listen to if you haven't already. This is just also to sort of illustrate that we're in an incredibly new and different time in terms of political and religious like cooperation, essentially. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 1893 feels like a while ago, but it's really not that long ago. I don't bring this up as an excuse for what happened with the DSA Shabbat gate shabbat scandal but just to say that leftist jews and religious jews were literally fighting in the streets not that long ago it makes sense that there would be some bumps along the way in finding our new sort of cozy arrangement together to me yeah 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 Uh, i'd be curious with the age of the people that organized this dsa religious thing if they were all like in their 60s and 70s i'd be like yeah of course they're not gonna know to do it on shabbat potentially but if it was like a bunch of squishy millennials it's like come on guys. right i'm curious about that as well i did some research to try and figure out what happened to this sort of current of antagonistically anti-religious secular Jewish identity because we don't really have that today. We have reply guys and new atheism, but people who are emphatically Jewish and emphatically antagonistically against Judaism is not so much a, a real social movement right now. I couldn't really find any explanation about where this sort of antipathy went The closest thing that my experience has been talking to secular Israelis about politics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a whole other world. (laughs) Yeah, but just like when there's differences in political views between secular and religious Jews in Israel. Right. I've noticed then there's a lot of like, whoa, I am Jewish and I like hate this religious stuff. Right. Vibes, at least. Right. The mystery of where this went is like very curious to me. Yeah. If you, listener, are a historian and have an answer, please tell me because I genuinely really want to know. But also the mystery of this just sort of disappearing off the face of the earth as a social organizing principle feels like relevant somehow to the situation we're in now. How did the kids of the people who were fighting in the streets, like how did they get raised and what were their ideas about leftism and religion and like... You know, how did the sort of butterfly effect of this Jewish moment ripple out through history? Yeah, where did like all that energy fueling anger and where did it get siphoned off to? Did it just diffuse out in all directions and there's no explanation? Or is there some real currents that you can see? Right, some Jewish currents, if you will. Jewish currents, yes. So this brings us around to something that goes toward my opinion really, and what I think is the deal here, what personally I feel for myself, how I need to think about this event. Now we're going to Pirkei Avot, chapter 5, section 10, Mishnah 10, where we read, 
arba'a midot ba'adam. There are four virtues, measures, types of character in human beings. Ha'omer sheli sheli u'shelcha shelach zo mida benonit. The person who says what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours, that's a normal person, a sort of middling person. Okay. A commonplace kind of person. That's the basic understanding. We all own what we own. Sheli shelcha u'shelcha sheli am ha'aretz. The person that says, mine is yours, and yours is mine, is an am ha'aretz. Oh. So the person who says, what we each have belongs to each other, is an am ha'aretz. Sheli shelcha u'shelcha shelach chasid. The person who says, what's mine is yours, and what's yours is also yours, is a chasid, a pious person. And the one that says, sheli sheli u'shelcha sheli rashat. The one who says what's mine is mine and what's yours is mine is a wicked person. So that was a lot of permutations. Oh, no, I like it. We are left with the person who says basically what we all have belongs to each other, a.k.a. socialism, is an am ha'aretz. And the person who says what I have belongs to you and what you have also belongs to you, essentially saying I own nothing, is a chassid, a pious person. This, of course, set me to thinking of the famous line by Marx from each according to his ability to each according to his needs, which feels relevant here. That's sort of one of the organizing economic principles of socialism. And my read, what I ended up thinking after I read this Mishnah and thought about it, is that it feels incumbent on me to go above and beyond the sort of Marxist line that we have there about ability and need. I feel that it's incumbent upon me as a person of faith to go above and beyond what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. Basically because we live in a non-messianic, non-perfectly just paradise world, maintaining what I think of as the minimal social contract, which would be like cooperation, Mm -hmm. is not enough. I think in order to transform our society, we have to be willing to give more than we get. We have to be willing to lay claim to less than we might be theoretically entitled to. Okay, okay. And that leaves me, personally, my own reaction to DSA Shabbat Gate Scandal 2021 to sort of be like, yes, perhaps from a strictly logical perspective, they really fucked up. They made a bad decision, and it was shitty, and it was shitty for people. For me personally, I want to live in a world of choosing to take responsibility for my own Shabbat observance and advocating for that and negotiating with potential political collaborators rather than living in a world of expecting them to sort of proactively give me what I'm owed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And my take is still... (laughs) <laughs> they didn't fuck up. They're doing you a service. Enjoy your free time. Enjoy Shabbat. Enjoy Shabbat. <laughs> That's what it's there for, people. If you think about it. If you think about if it. You think about it. Yeah. So I think that's, I mean, there's a lot of danger in that kind of worldview of getting sucked into a sort of self sacrificing cycle yeah, of yeah, yeah. always giving and never receiving. And I think, you know, we have to walk that line. But To me, I used researching for this episode to sort of figure out what I thought about this. You know, I used these pieces of Talmud to help me puzzle out 
my own feelings. And in the end, that's where they brought me. And if they didn't bring anyone else there, then that's fine. But yeah, that's where I landed on all of this, dear listener. I really appreciate your question. It allowed me to go on a really beautiful textual journey. And I hope this helped you in your own process of contemplating DSA Shabbat scandal 2021. Thank you. Yeah. That was a great analysis. Do you think the rabbis are seeing themselves as the Hasids in this one? I think they tend to be pretty aspirational rather okay. than self-congratulatory. Okay. So I think the rabbis are more like, this is how we would like to be, and this is how our forefathers were. That tends to be the mode, like, oh, the rabbi who taught me, they were a chassid. I'm nothing. I'm but a worm on the ground. So do you think they would refer to themselves like, oh, I'm I'm but a worm on the ground. I'm an Amcha Aretz. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't think they would say they were an Amcha Aretz because I think to them that had a more technical meaning. A lot of value judgments do get put onto it at various times in the Talmud, but I think to them it was more just like, Am Haaretz is not synonymous with wicked person, right? It's just a different kind of person living a different life. And I think for them, this idea of what's mine is yours and what's yours is yours comes from the point of view that like ultimately everything belongs to Hashem and therefore to lay claim to any material possession is sort of ridiculous in that theological framework. I wish they added to it and said, someone who says what's mine is just an illusion and what's yours is just an <laughs> illusion and actually we're of the same substance and there is no real differentiation. Right. Well, I hear you, but I think by saying what's yours is yours, they leave the door open to say, you don't need to take it upon yourself to convince everyone else about the illusion of material reality. You can yeah, just yeah. like be benevolent without having to convince other people that what's theirs is also not theirs. It's also kind of a bit of like a, you know, throw unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Yeah, I've never known what to think about that from the New Testament. I've like, I've never gotten it and I've been hearing really? it since childhood. So well, I feel like it's very like, what's mine is yours. Who cares? It's like beyond, I'm beyond material. Yeah, it's hard for me to take it that way, considering the like political context of the time, because the zealots were still getting ready to revolt against the Romans. That's a h- episode for someone else's podcast yeah, okay. that's not ours. All right, okay. Anyway, thank you for your wonderful question. Other listeners, send us your questions. Ask us what you should have for dinner tonight. Ask us if you should go out with that person. Ask us which fork to use. Whatever. Just ask us questions. We like to hear from you, and it makes for really good episodes. Use the clean fork. We will see you in our patron episode if you're a patron, and otherwise we'll see you next week with another great listener question. I have nothing else to say. Y'all are great. Shavuot Yeah, Shavuot Bye. Bye.